This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to the post-credit pod. My name is Brandon Katz, senior entertainment reporter for The Observer. I am here with Eric Italiano, senior editor at Bro Bible. Together, we are two nerds who tricked their bosses into giving them platforms so we could literally get paid to talk about comic book movies. Eric, Ocean's Eleven has nothing on us. B, I just want to make one thing clear before we start. The S on my chest, it's not an S. It means hope. (laughs) I like that, and that gives us a good intro into what we are talking about today. With DC fandom coming up later this month, we are running through the major moments and blockbuster battles of the DCEU, basically serving as your brainiac database of all things DC before the studio kicks things into high gear next week. Today, we are starting, as the DCEU did, with Man of Steel. For some, he was a guardian angel. For others, a ghost who never quite fit in. You will give the people of Earth an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But in time, they will join you in the sun. In time, you will help them accomplish wonders. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty, Eric, I just want to throw a kind of macro question at you. And that is, was Zack Snyder and DC trying to launch a shared cinematic universe? Or were they trying to do a grounded Christopher Nolan-esque take on Superman and then just switched gears after the fact? So this is a take that I've had for a while, and I think I told you this a long time ago. Uh, and then today, to like prepare for the podcast, I went back and watched the first trailer that they dropped a year before. And it is so remarkably dark that it's clear that they were trying to dark night if I Man of Steel. Um, some people who love the character didn't like that you know it goes in like it's incongruent with who he is uh i loved it i thought it was a smart smart play considering that for that for those eight or so years dark knight ran things you know the mcu was just starting uh but i think once the mcu started to shift into high gear that's when they went back and tried to make it seem as though they were trying to launch the same thing uh, so, no, I think that they were not trying to launch uh, the DCEU, and I think that they were just trying to make a Christopher Nolan-esque Superman, wherein they were trying to look at what the world would really be like if this dude showed up. 
Yeah, you know, have you ever been at a party and maybe you've had a couple adult beverages in you? You're walking down the stairs and you stumble, but you some kind of somehow stick the landing. And you get to play it off like, oh, I meant to do that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that was awesome. That is what essentially Warner Brothers was doing. In my opinion, especially in rewatching it, there is no shot that Man of Steel was meant to be a grand universe launch. That doesn't mean they didn't have the plans in place. That doesn't mean that they weren't, you know, going to do that down the line. But Man of Steel is clearly supposed to be a standalone effort in the vein of uh, Christopher Nolan, who is a producer on it and who godfathered some of the creative process. And for them to kind of turn around and say like, oh no, actually this was our plan all along to me seems a little bit disingenuous because it just doesn't feel like that at any point during the movie. It feels very much, we need to focus on Superman because this is a Superman only movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I said to you in a text where we're both close in the same age, I'm 27 now. There's only been two Superman films in my entire life, two like standalone Superman films. And when you consider that he's probably the superhero that's unbelievable. So you, you got to assume that it was, you know, they started the film in 2012. So for the first time, really, they had the tech to do an awesome Superman film. And I think that that's all that they were trying to do. And yeah, to that point, I will say, I think that opening Superman scene with the airplane and Superman Returns is great. That tech, that, you know, the, the visual effects there works. But yeah, this is a character that has for the most part, struggled to break out on the big screen in the modern era. And we can say a million reasons why that is so, or why that isn't so, why that is the fact, why it isn't, why audiences seem to love him, why some audiences seem to hate him. But in this instance, clearly Nolan had a hand in shaping a more grounded, realistic take on Superman that was trying to get at okay, how would the real world respond if essentially a superpowered alien revealed himself to humanity? And that element, I, I really do like. Now, you mentioned earlier that some of it can be incongruent with the character. I do believe in going so dark in moments, they lose some of the optimism and hope of Superman. Now, creating a different take, that's important, especially for modernizing it to you know the the kind of current contemporary times but i do think you can balance that with also honoring what came before on the page and i think there are some missteps in that regard in the characterization of clark kent and superman in zack snyder's vision i don't think i mean and we'll get to this point um but i don't think that it was a a, a bad thing you know we we talked about or you know all fans talk about how the MCU could seem a lot of the same over and over the same thing, plug and play. Looking at Superman in such a hyper realistic way made the character all the more human to me. Uh, you know, growing up, my dad is a big fan of his because of the Chris Reeves films and all that. But as a kid, I didn't really, I didn't really care too much for the character because I, I, I didn't think it was fair. You know, he's a guy who can't die, and that doesn't really interest me. And then that's what led me to Batman, because conversely, I love how he's just a regular guy. So I think that in making it so realistic, they sort of strip away this, like, he's not perfect. He is just as flawed as us. And I think that that adds a new layer to him that I haven't seen before or since in a mainstream film. 
And I think it was great. And I think that the the result is DCEU's best film. You know, I, I think, I like what you're saying in terms of his invincibility. That has always been a barrier of access for the character, I think, to wider audiences. What is interesting about an invulnerable man who, who can't be hurt, and I do like that in Man of Steel, it's not really about, uh, you know, there's no emphasis on kryptonite. It's not really about like, oh, how do we kill him? They can be damaged, they can be hurt. It's not maybe as vital or as fatal as, you know, a Batman or a Spider-Man. Let me just uh, cut, cut in here. I mean, the core, the, the core drama moment of the whole film is Superman becomes a murderer. Like that's something that, you know, you just don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to murder somebody, you know, like that. So the, the fact that it, you know, it was dark as hell. We're not denying that. But the fact that it made him have to cope with the same way you and I would. Holy shit, I just killed a guy. I, I think, you know, sort of lends to your point. I just see, here's the thing. I, I like that they kind of stripped down the power a little bit. Obviously, he's the most powerful being on Earth. But again, he, he is more vulnerable. But to me, in this version, he doesn't really have so much an inner journey. He doesn't really decide to be Superman. He's blackmailed into revealing himself by Zod. And then his next character choice is, oh, am I going to wipe out Earth to revive Krypton? And well, we know the entire time which way he's going to go. There's no real tension. And in a piece for Observer a few years ago, I wrote, Snyder's take was weighed down by unrelenting nihilism. This version of our hero is more of a fighter than a savior. And kind of building off that, as I rewatch it again and again, especially in anticipation of this podcast that we're doing, I've come to realize that I do like a lot of Man of Steel, but it isn't a real Superman movie to me. And you say that it's about him becoming a murderer, but that the reason that doesn't really land with me is because I, I don't care that he kills Zod. I actually, in fact, I love that. If you love these people so much, you can mourn for them. Don't do this! Stop! Never. What the hell else are you going to do with a genocidal, you know, nuclear bomb of a human being? But 15 minutes before he kills Zod, he shows no remorse or care or concern while laser beaming and flying through populated skyscrapers and absolutely decimating downtown Metropolis. You know, he exterminates his entire race and essentially tries to kill the other Kryptonians when they're fighting. But now all of a sudden he gets so sappy with the murder of Zod, the execution of the entire element is really poor. And again, I don't care that he kills that, I like it. I just think the setup and execution is very, very weak. And that takes away from the emotional impact and resonance that's intended by the scene. So to piggyback off that, I think it brings us into our next point, which is how do you feel about the third act? And obviously specifically the entire scene with Metropolis. Did Snyder go too far? Did Superman have any other choice? What else could he have done? What is your take on probably the most divisive element of this movie? Well, so, and I think you made a great point because killing Zod and destroying an, an entire downtown are two different things. You said you, you like one. 
which implies it that you did not like one. Um, I like it just for the same for the same way that I like this entire film. It is hyper realistic. Superman. If Zod was doing what Zod was doing, Superman wouldn't have a choice. It's not like he he could tell Zod, "Hey, man, can we take this one like chill out a little bit? Like, you think we could like you know go out to like the Midwest or something?" But he can't do that. Um, I disagree. Not not obviously quite like that, but I mean, you see earlier in the movie in the Smallville fight where he's fighting multiple Kryptonians, which by the way, is one of the best action scene movies probably of the last decade, but he is actively trying to save people and going out of his way to avoid collateral da damage. And that is not the case later in the movie. Preventing destruction is a key element. And I think we've seen that in other mediums with superpowered individuals like Dragon Ball Z and Goku. And, you know, to the specifics too, like you said, you can't, say, hey, Zod, let's take this another place. But, you know, for a moment, they're fighting in space. Why not keep the fight there away from people? What do you mean, why? But hey, how is it up to him? Like, Zod, if Zod is, the, like, he's got that world engine thing in the, the uh, downtown, that's where he's trying to go. Like, what is Superman going to do? It, like, he has to fight where the fight is. Yeet this dude into the sun. Keep it above the atmosphere. Or when they're returning from the atmosphere, go to a deserted area instead of right back to Metropolis. You know, so like, then why, why did they not do that then? Because of poor writing, in my opinion. Okay. Like, he wipes out Krypton by crashing the ship with the Codex through so many damn buildings. Like, he couldn't have laser-beamed the thing up in the atmosphere or, or chucked it into the sun. You know, at, at a point after the movie, Zack Snyder told Kevin Smith, that the Battle of Metropolis killed 5,000 plus people. And I think that is a lot of death, some of which could have been avoided. Now, of course, you're right in the sense that, like, what else can he do? Like, he, he does have to go where Zod is. But I do think there are elements that he could have done in terms of trying to protect more people, trying to avoid collateral damage that he simply doesn't care about. I mean, he, he shoves one of the Kryptonians' face into the side of a building while people are in the building. Like, that's not helping the cause. Yeah. I. I think it was in uh, Captain America Civil War where Tony Stark gets confronted by that mom of the kid who died in like the uh, Wakanda fight. Sokovia. Sokovia, right, exactly. Okay, so Marvel, that's their attempt to acknowledge that this destruction is real. Snyder just chose to show it. But I think in showing it, it's not really emotionally resonant because it is destruction for destruction's sake. It is there to add background to what is supposed to be an epic fight. And there's no actual human toll, which I think kind of undercuts the entire purpose. And I think really removes this version of Superman from kind of the aspirational figure we need him to be. So does that ruin the whole film for you? If, if they had not been so hardcore would you see this film in a more kinder light that is a very good question and it doesn't ruin the whole film for me especially undergoing multiple rewatches and the most recent rewatch for this pod i have firmly definitively finally after seven years after this movie this you know came out decided that i like a lot of what is in this film and the stuff I don't like, I definitely don't like. And there's a lot more of it that we will get to throughout this podcast. But essentially, this is a movie that I give like a really rock solid B. And as someone who is a big fan of Dragon Ball Z, this is the closest we will ever get to a live action Dragon Ball Z fist fight, which I think is just incredibly cool.
and hard to do. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's a technical feat that he made it like Superman is like the fact that it didn't look like it was blatant CGI is incredible. You know, it, uh, uh, for as hardcore as it may have been, that destruction looked real, you know? So I don't think is a, is a great storyteller, but he is an unbelievable visual director. Yeah. I mean, the aesthetics and the shots in this movie and the action is just so kinetic and lively. It's very unmatched, I think, in kind of modern blockbuster history. And I got to give him his props there, even if I'm never a, a huge fan of a, of a lot of his stories. Back to our original point now, the fact is we, we agree that this is a big Superman movie. We agree that there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons. And I like that we kind of have different opinions on what those are. But would this have worked as a kind of grand universe launching film? Or, or do you think it should have stayed as a solo film with a sequel and another traditional chapter before kind of building out to all this craziness? Well, when, when I first heard that they were going to make Bat Batman sort of the villain of the follow-up, that in concept is an unbelievable idea. So, but what happened was it didn't become Superman 2. It became like, you know, Batman's here now, you know? So I think that it could have worked, but as I said, I think that the success of the MCU made them panic and, and, and sort of change it on like, like the fly. So I think had they stuck to their plan, whether it have been, you know what they should have done? They should have called it Man of Steel 2. And then Batman should have showed up at the end of that one. That's what they should have done. I agree completely. And I agree with what you said. Remember, this movie came out in 2013, which means they were filming and developing in 2012 when the Avengers came out, broke box office records, put up 1.3 you know, plus billion. I think it actually might have been more than that. So that obviously changed the equation a little bit. And then when Man of Steel did come out, now I can't 100% confirm this, but from everything I've heard from behind the scenes, Warner Brothers expected Man of Steel to cross a billion relatively easy at the worldwide box office, especially coming off the back of three very lucrative and successful Dark Knight movies from Christopher Nolan. So when this movie still made money, was still profitable, but topped out at about 668 million, there was definitely, I think, an internal pivot towards more of the team-up crossover, a, a kind of rush to chase the Avengers high, both critically and commercially, which, to my, in my opinion, was to the detriment of the DCEU as a whole. All right, well, I'm glad that we agree on some things, disagree on some things, and we can further hash them out in this next section where we're gonna jump into our 12 categories where I'm basically gonna pose a question to you and I want you to come up with the best answer you can. We're gonna kinda shoot through these. All right, number one, what is the single best hero moment in Man of Steel? Single. And why? Uh-uh-uh, I've got two. Brandon. <laughs> All right. Well, you're going to give us your two and then you're going to have to decide which one you're actually submitting. Sure. So I, well, one is more of like a smaller one. So I'll start there. When the guy from SVU squares up. Yes. When he squares up with Zod's like female sidekick with like a knife, like that is, that's like a badass scene. Like that's just a dude who, that is a warrior right there. You know what I mean? Like I know I'm going to die, but I'm going out on my shield. So as a man of honor. So I think as a hero moment, being a regular human and squaring up to a powerful 
Kryptonian nut job is awesome. But broader and more in terms of the film itself, uh, I think when Clark learns to fly and it's overlaid with the Jor-El speech. You will give the people of Earth an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But in time, they will join you when the sun comes. In time, you will help them accomplish wonders. Trying to explain to him what he can be to this world, I think it's powerful stuff, especially when you look out in the world that we live in now, there's not a lot of idealism left. You know, everything is broken. Um, so having that sort of like, that golden standard of what we could be, I found to be very, very powerful. Yeah, I think when we think about this question, what's the best hero moment of Man of Steel? The mind immediately goes to that scene first and foremost. Uh, you know, he closes his eyes, he kind of centers, his energy, the sun hits him on the face. It's a very beautiful moment that I think is probably the obvious answer here. My only problem with it, and this is such a nitpicky, Brandon, shut your stupid mouth and just enjoy the movie moment. But Clark is 33 years old. Like if I had those powers, if you had those powers, if anybody who actually exists in the real world had those powers, we would have learned if we could fly or not way before 33. Like we would have been testing those powers as like a 14 year old in the junkyard, seeing how hard we could go. So for the fact that he didn't ever kind of push his limits till 33, I'm like, come on guy. You know, I, especially in Kansas, what were you doing in high school? I you think that's a good point, but are we to assume that superheroes exist? Like he is, the superhero, like he's the first superhero in that world. So what would make him even think like, oh, perhaps I could fly. We think that because we know Superman and, and dozens of hundreds and thousands of heroes that can fly, you know? Based on pure, you know, physical existence in this world. I'm sure as a kid, he was like, holy crap, I can jump like really far. Right. And the laws of gravity don't apply to me in the same way other people would. Like. I just would be building on that and exploring that in every free moment I had if I was True. And again, everybody, before you kill me on Twitter, I get that this is a nitpicky kind of BS thing. But listen, every time I watch that scene, that, that's the immediate first thought, sue me. So mine is, I'm gonna go with Christopher Maloney as well, but a different, different moment. So Christopher Maloney, again, SVU guy, just really solid actor for his whole career. Shout out to that guy. But he witnesses the battle of Smallville. And at the end of it, you know, Superman is surrounded by his troops with their guns drawn, targets locked on Superman. You know, Superman kind of has his hands up a little bit, like he doesn't know where this moment's gonna go. And Christopher Maloney tells his troops to stand down. And he says simply, this man is not our enemy. This man is not our enemy. Superhero moment. That is the birth of Superman right there. Yeah, he true acknowledgement. He has some great scenes. There's one line that that I love where uh again that like female sidekick, which I don't know her name. I don't know her, her like character. It's like Fior Fiora. I 
and everybody on Twitter will again clown us for this. I, I know how it's spelled and everything. I just can't pronounce it. Well. I yeah, same. It. I saw it. I was like, I'm not even going to try. So uh, when she comes down to like discuss the terms and she tells him, she's like, should I tell Zod that you're not going to cooperate? And then he's like, I don't care what you tell him. <laughs> you know, that's a great line reading. He he nailed he nails this, I think. I, I think it's a great part even of it. though he knows that he's not even like remotely on their level, he's like, I'm not backing down. This is my planet. Yeah, so I I, I think that he's great. I think that those scenes are great. So that's a great shout. And just a kind of greater question in terms of this best hero moment. Do you think ever that it's too heavy-handed, or do you think we need these moments where it's like, wow, this is the inspirational stuff I came for? It's Superman. Isn't that what people want? You, you know, you got to have it. You, you can't have it both ways. You can't have them be too light and too, like, I'm not really sure how, how to say it, but like, don't come, you, you can't complain about those scenes and then also complain that it's too dark. You know, they're giving, they gave you what you want. There it is. Superman learns to fly and there's an awesome score and you want to punch your fist in the air. That's Superman. There you go. So I don't think it's too heavy-handed because, again, and they explore this more in uh, B- BVS, he's a godlike figure. You know, I, 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 what I love about the idea of him is if he were to show up, two very widely varying camps, science and faith, would both be flipped on their fucking head. They wouldn't know what to do. You know what I mean? So I think that that sort of character with that sort of weight needs to be treated with, as you call it, a heavy hand. Yeah, I agree. I, I like these hero moments. And not only does it obviously say to the audience, okay, this is, this is a man worth rooting for, but it, they're also just cool. And sometimes we go to the movies, not for themes, not for weighty discussions about the fate of the world, but because we want to see something cool that costs $200 million to you know, turn into reality. And that is what I love. And these moments, big and small, are just plain cool. So I agree with you on that one. Eric. Preach, preach. Come on, Brandon, say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> Next category, Eric, the real MVP award. Now this can go to one of the characters, one of the directors, someone on the creative team, the friggin' marketing department, if you want. Who do you think is the crucial element of Man of Steel that makes it all go? Guess what, Brandon? I have more than one. Oh, I've been, so I'm noticing a theme coming up. I've been waiting You're for You're trying to overshadow me. I see how it's going. I've been waiting for this day for seven years. I've been wanting to defend this film to somebody, anybody, forever. So I came to clip fully loaded. All right, let's go. Hit me. Especially if it's someone who, who likes the movie but sees glaring flaws in it. I'm the perfect person to defend it to. Number one, the cast. Russell Crowe, Kevin Costner, Michael Shannon, Amy Adams, Diane Lane, Lawrence Fishburne, Richard Schiff, uh, Christopher... uh, Yes. I mean, that is an unbelievable supporting cast. You could not ask for a better cast in a popcorn film. Really, really well cast movie, like across the board. Across One the board. Best strengths. Oh, uh, and that shady guy from uh, House of Cards. Oh my God, he, he's a very talented character actor. He's Michael another- something, right? Yeah. I, yeah. All right. Next one, Hans Zimmer. Great one. Great the call. score is incredible. I mean, whether I mean the, the like the soft sort of like piano key tones 
are one of my all-time favorite film scores, period, the end. As we touched on, when he learns to fly, the score is so triumphant. Like, the, the fact that he could capture Superman in a sound is incredible to me. is better than the original. I, I, I think it's just like a modern update because you don't want to, you know, like like the Batman thing, you know, like that original Batman theme is iconic, you know? Right, right. So you always want to, you always want to have roots in that, but you also don't want to steal it. I think that the Man of Steel score is sort of like in the same way that Man of Steel is a modern take on the character the score is a modern sort of update of that older tune in some order top composers are john williams and hans zimmer right like that's like the first tier and then there's everybody else yeah yeah so i think that you know i think that the score because the film was emotional it's an emotional fucking movie and the score plays into a lot of that i think the score is phenomenal i think at Uh, some points it may not be as quite as emotional as you think it is but that's there. I've got two more. Now, what you got four MVP words? I'm what sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But then I'll let you go. One stupid example. You're making me look so flimsy over here. All right, oh, go, go, go. Americana, apple pie, cornfields, baseball hats, uh, flannel shirts, working on a farm, flannel shirts, all that shit, pickup trucks, red pickup trucks specifically. All that shit looks great. Awesome. <laughs> Get those green pickup trucks out of my line of sight, son. Fourth one, dads. Bang, just dads. Both of his dads are, I I think the casting is incredible. It brought such weight to a film that needs it. Um, And and, uh, going back, as I watched the uh, trailers, Russell Crowe and uh, Kevin Costner are heavily leaned on. But you're not just anyone, Clark, and I have to believe that you were that you were sent here for a reason. All these changes that you're going through, one day, one day you're gonna think of them as a blessing, and when that day comes, you're gonna have to make a choice. A choice of whether to stand proud in front of the human race or not. Can I just keep pretending I'm your son? You are my son. You know, they're like, hey, look, these guys are in this. So I think that the dads are are a huge part, part of this film. I cannot wait until we get to a later category so we can hash it out over some dad talk. I think out of your four, I'm going with composer first and Americana second. I like those two the most. Okay, fair enough. So we went in a little bit of a different direction for my MVP award, and I wanted to single out a character who makes a very moving choice within the kind of chaos of the movie, and that is Perry White, played by Lawrence Fishburne who decides to stay with his employee when she's trapped under the rubble during the attack on Metropolis so she won't die alone, even though he could get away and save himself. Now, Eric, you and I both work in media. 
is there anything you wouldn't do for a boss like that? Because I can't imagine, you know, my editor being like, hey, Katz, could you cover the Saturday shift? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, Perry, I've got Nick's tickets. So, oh, well, I was prepared to die for you that one time, but sure, I get it. Like, <laughs> That's a great call. You just, you just can't do that when someone pulls an amazing move like that. And I just thought amid the carnage that was going on around them, it was a really beautiful, human, emotional moment that says everything we need to know about this small supporting character in one short scene. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when I said that this is a, a emotional film, that's one of the scenes that comes to mind. I mean, it's strong, you know? Uh, even though I don't think that it's more of he's choosing to stay with her, I think he knows he's screwed regardless of what he does. Uh, but I like your, your take more, so let's just go, go with that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, when the entire city is falling down around you, perhaps there's not an immediate safety, but he could have just left her as the kind of world engine came to crush her, so, you know, giving himself a couple extra minutes. Yeah. What would you do with a couple extra minutes? Let's say you leave her. Like, are you grabbing, like, a couple free hot dogs from an abandoned stand? Like, what are you doing? There? I don't loot, Brandon. I'm not a looter. <laughs> I would honestly, would I stay with her? I suppose because my choice would be to just die alone. So I guess it's a win-win for them both and a lose-lose, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be pleasant being crushed to death. But no. luckily, Superman comes to save the day, as expected. And that is a good point because Superman has to save the day by stopping the enemy. And the enemy in this, obviously, is Zod. To your, in your opinion... Is there a villain that could have made this movie better? So I had wrote down yes at first because sort of like what we like talk, talked about, like there are so many villains that we would love to see. We've seen Zod, Zod they did Zod, you know, back, back in the old films. But then I, iconic performance. Yeah, so, but then as I thought about it, he's the perfect character to sort of bring you into the world and the mythology of the planet and all that stuff. And it's the perfect sort of counterweight because he has the same powers. Uh, so no, I think Zod was the perfect choice. Yeah, you know, I want to see a live action Brainiac at some point, big screen. We're not talking about Smallville, which honestly should be its own pod for another day. But I want to see Brainiac eventually. But in this case, no. Even though Zod's been done before, even though Zod was done in an iconic manner in Superman 2, the Christopher Reeves, era zod is a good villain and michael shannon absolutely slays in this movie he's just a good actor in general who never really turns in to a uh, turns in a bad performance but he here is a character who's trying to save his race now there's definitely a lot of xenophobic terribleness from his perspective but ultimately you understand where he's coming from and this is a good actor who looks absolutely yoked in his kind of Superman, Kryptonian, anti-evil suit, and he crushes the, the role completely. And I will say personally, after walking out of the theater, seeing Man of Steel for the first time, I spent at least two weeks just yelling randomly at my friends, I will find him! Do you have any last words? You won't kill us yourself! You wouldn't sully your hands, but you'll damn us to a black hole for eternity! Jarrell was right. You're a pack of fools. Every last one of you. And you. You believe your son is safe? I will find him. I will reclaim what you have taken from us. 
I will find him. I will find him, Lara. I will find him! Oh, dude, that is an all-time gif as well. I love to use that gif. It's fantastic. And to your point, I'm, this, I have a whole diatribe on this. <laughs> to your point, it connects us back to the mythos of Superman, and it gives us the kind of origin basics about Krypton. And I think that this is a good time to talk about the opening scene, since we are talking about Zod, and since we both agree that he was a good launching pad for the kind of new Man of Steel reboot. Everything on Krypton in the opening scene to me is nonsensical and ridiculous, yet so fun and so aesthetically pleasing that it doesn't matter. Like, does Krypton look like a good tourist attraction? Absolutely not. There's barren rock face cliffs. There's empty rooms with no furniture. There's stoic council members. There's flying beasts. Empty it's essentially room. visiting Disney World in the middle of a pandemic of tourist attractions, and I would never want to go there. And for such an advanced species, I am surprised how miserable life looks on Krypton. Like, where do Kryptonians go to kick back, to grab a beer, to chill with the boys, pick up a girl? Like, nowhere. But for the purposes of world building, all of that misery really, really works because this is a doomed planet and their entire purpose is to be doomed. And at the same time, it establishes the origin basics. It opens the movie with a bang penis-looking spaceships notwithstanding, and it does just a great job of transporting us from this alien world to one that's a little bit more familiar. So despite how ridiculous and nonsensical and bleak Krypton looks, it's a thrilling opening scene to what would be like this blockbuster that's trying to reintroduce a famous character. For sure, and I think that it, it again, like, it reminds you that this guy, he comes from his own planet with his own people, like, Superman at times could seem very on his own just by, you know, the context of who he is and how strong he is. Isolated. Exactly. I mean, his, he, ha he has a freaking cave just to, you know, chill out a little bit. Uh, so I think it's good to remind him that he had a mother, like the scene of her watching the planet explode. It's very moving, you know? So I, 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 I think that not, yes, well, and, and I'll bring this up later, the codex thing. I still don't really get it. So you're right. A lot of what's going on on that planet makes no fucking sense. But it's awesome. It's awesome. It looks great. It hits, I think. you under it, it hits both your brain and heart. You understand what they're going through. And you feel it. You feel for them. You feel for Jor-El, who also has a great fight scene, a great hand-to-hand -hand fight scene uh, in that. So, yeah, I, I think it's great. I think one of my favorite elements of the opening, and this is going to sound like a criticism, but I do mean it in a uniquely positive way. I think there's just an unintentional hilarity to how idiotic the council is. And that has been the case in every medium of Superman that has depicted this event. Because in this version, they are genetically engineering all of their citizens for specific tasks in this world. And Jor-El was literally created to be the head of the science division. And he tells the council, yo, planet's gonna blow up, we gotta bounce. And they're just like, nah, we don't believe you. What are you doing? He is the guy that you literally brought to life to be your friggin' science guy. That is like hiring a poet to tutor you in chemistry. 
Why would you list, not listen to this freaking guy? That's it's just going to end badly for everyone. And that's unintentionally hilarious, but I actually do enjoy it. But just overall, like we've said, I would be so interested, just based on this opening, to have seen a Superman prequel that wasn't the terrible sci-fi show Krypton that explored more of Krypton because the politics, the hierarchy, the culture, the technology, you know, the alien expansion, all of that is like really, really rich territory to turn into some type of live action content. Yeah. Yeah, which stinks because had they were to, would they do, if or had they done more Man of Steel films, we probably could have seen more of that world, you know, but... All right, now category four. This, listen, we like this actor overall. We think he's a talent. Whoa, 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 whoa. When did I say that? You don't? You don't care? Well, well let's tell, tell him who it is first. Okay. Category four, based on a fellow DCEU entry, we are calling this category the Jared Leto Award for the film's worst performance. And this dovetails nicely with my previous answer just now, but I'm going to let you start us off. In Man of Steel, which is a very well-cast movie, who do you give the Jared Leto Award for the worst performance? So this one was tough because they're all, uh, as, as I said, the cast is great. You're not going to find a weak, a weak line. So I'm going with the army chick at the end who's like, she's kind of in it the, the whole time, but then she makes that joke. She's like, I'm sorry, I just think he's kind of hot. <laughs> so her. <laughs> All right. I mean, fair. I, listen, in that moment, I understand, like, why she would say something like that, but I do get- The army! What are you talking about? Why would she do that? People in the army are human beings. Yeah, but the generals, right? I just, I don't know. It, it, it's not her fault that that line was there, but the fact that she's the one that had to read it means that she get, gets the, uh, the nod. My college roommate was in ROTC and now works for the federal government. And I once walked in on him, passed out on his college desk that they give you that's like two by two with dip spit all down his cheek. So like, you know, people in the army and federal but government- But he didn't do it in front of his boss. That's okay. Well, you know what? That's, that's a fair point. I'll concede that one to you. Okay, bang. All right, my answer dovetailing with what I just said. The worst performance is everyone on the Kryptonian Council. Yeet those stoic mother effers into a damn dying star for all I care. I agree. I mean, and I, 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 I need to go back and rewatch because I didn't really notice. I guess that's on, on me how dumb they are. But as you say it, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, like Jarrell says, hey, we got to get out of here. And then Zod comes in and is like, hey, we got to get out of there. So like they're two leading dudes are like, hey, bad stuff is going down. And they're like, nah, we're good. Yeah, perfect. All right, now this matches up nicely with the next category, the Jim Gordon Award for the best performance from a non-superhero. We touched on this once, twice, in fact. Christopher Meloni. I think that he, I, I think that in a, in a film about powerful aliens that could tear through buildings, his human spirit and uh willingness to fight for his kind is great i i i think he's a key part of the film just in in the sense that you know he it's not just like we don't have a say he makes you feel like as mankind we have a say in this too yeah you know christopher maloney is great like we've said in terms of my favorite non-superman performance i'm going with uh amy adams who i think personally is probably the best 
big screen Lois Lane we've ever gotten. And that's no disrespect to, you know, the iconic Margot Kidder. That's no disrespect to Kate Bosworth in Superman Returns. I just think Amy Adams, this characterization, we actually get to see her doing some real reporting. We don't have to play the cat and mouse game of, you know, Superman's secret identity, which actually allows them to connect and share with each other and be real characters instead of this kind of layer of like, ooh, we know something she doesn't. And I think that really kind of humanizes her in a way that we haven't always seen. Plus, Amy Adams is just one of the most phenomenal actresses alive today. That's just yeah. a fact. I think that Lois Lane could be sort of 2D at times. She gets thrown off a roof. She gets saved. Uh, you know, she's just kind of there to, you know, be his girlfriend. So I think that he did a great job of not only having her character have something real to do, but not making those parts boring. Again, this is a Superman film. So the yeah. fact that her being a real journalist is fun and it's great and she's great. Showing Clark's pre-Superman heroic efforts through the lens of Lois's reporting connects the two on a level immediately without them ever having met, which is just a cool way of unfurling that story, giving some background to the audience, and showing that, she, like you said, she has more to do than just be a damsel in distress. And I, just listen, put Amy Adams in everything. That's my opinion. Recast her in 12 more things. I, I don't care what what... I just want to see more Amy Adams in my life. And, you know, and she's a big part of B BVS, too. So, you know, it's not like she was a, a one and done. Zack Snyder made her a real, fully fleshed out, crucial character. And listen, casting is such a big part of superhero blockbusters. Eric and I both like to dabble with it in, in some fun fan casting on Twitter. So if you want to hear more about that, follow us there at great underscore Catsby and at Eric underscore Ital. Memes, baby, memes. Exactly, there you go. Now this category I'm very excited to get into. It's a brief one, but we both have the same answer, which is why I'm happy about it. The Pleasantly Surprising Casting Cameo Award. Go ahead, Brandon, tell them. Uh, so yeah, this one, West Wing fans, everybody knows Richard Schiff, just a really, really talented char character actor who has been putting in work for, I don't know, 25, 30 years. He's one of that guy faces where you're like, oh, 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 I know him, he's that guy. And in this, he plays Dr. Emile Hamilton, who's present kind of throughout the film in the background. He's there at the interrogation scene. He's the guy with the, uh, the mints in his pocket that Superman can x-ray vision, which is just a cool scene. And you know, he's a guy who's in the movie, a brave scientist who's just trying to help humanity. And I love that. And this guy is always good. Uh, you said my thoughts. I mean, I was like, I, I literally said to myself, oh, that fucking guy. But then I didn't know his name. Googled it. Dude has won a uh, Emmy Award. Yeah. And he's playing this like bit part role. It's incredible. So yeah, yeah. again, as we said, from top to bottom, the casting in this film is as good as you. It, it's top of the line talent. It's incredible. One of the best casting jobs in the DCEU. Now let's go to another category, the Tin Ear Award for the worst line of dialogue. Now as someone who does not love the writing in Man of Steel, this is a category that I had a few options for, ultimately went with one, but I wanna hear your answer first. I, um, I, I said it in uh, the, the last one, the I think he's kind of hot, like I get the need for a joke at the end of a heavy third act, but I just think in context, it just, it just, did, it just, it didn't ring right to me, you know? This guy is an alien threat. He just freaking 
broke your $12 million drone and you're like, oh, sorry, boss, he's kind of hot. You know, like, so I just think that's ridiculous. Listen, it's not like the U.S. government can't cover the cost, but at the same time, I guess I'd be a little peeved as well if I was that general. Listen, and, I, and for my answer, I know it's supposed to be this cool callback, but a good death is its own reward. It's just something that's meant to sound good, but is so dumb to me. You know what's a better reward than a good death? Not fucking dying, getting a back rub after all this carnage, going home and eating a steak, having an old fashioned. Those are good rewards, not a good death. I just think it's something that's, dude, this is badass. I'm gonna throw this in there, but really means nothing and is dumb. Yeah, I, I think I uh, agree that in terms of an actual line, it's not good, but in the way that it's applied to that character, I think it works. I think it plays into, as we were saying, how he's sort of this badass human and the fact that he flips that on her head and then kills her as he kills himself, I think just re-hits home how brave that guy was. I think that, okay, I, I, can, I can see where you're coming from, even if I, if, even I don't agree. But, but is it a good line in the most, like, basic sense? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now this, this category is one of my most anticipated, because this is where we're going to have, I think, a, a little bit of a debate what is the worst thing you can say about this movie? Jonathan Kent, my oh. man. No, 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 hold on, hold on. Not, not his performance, not his general kind of vibe, which I dig, but his reasoning for things doesn't really make sense to me. Now I can't have to retract all of my excitement because we might be more on the same page than I predicted. Um, I... I and, and it's a crucial part of this film, his theory that like the world is not prepared for this type of guy, which as I said, you know, if this dude showed up, both the science and the faith people, their brains would fucking explode. So I think that he has a good point in that sense. But the way that he goes about it, there's that famous line where like Clark is like, when like the bus goes down, he's like, what should I have done? Just let them all die. Again, this is a bus full of children. <laughs> and Jonathan Kent's like, maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, uh, this is in B BVS, but he, um, he tells this story about how when he was a kid and he worked on the uh, farm, how there was a flood. And he, like, he saved his farm by like putting up rocks to build a wall. <laughs> and then he's like, but then the next door neighbors got flooded and, and their cows drowned. <laughs> So like, <laughs> so like this guy, like I under, so in theory, he, he's got good points, but I think his tact in uh, applying them are just insane. Right. So I'm, I guess we're not going to have too much of a debate, but the worst thing I can say about this movie is it's most important moments are very poorly conceived and written. The scenes and character beats that need to succeed the most do not, in my opinion, I think, we talked about it before. One huge example is the final uh, Zod confrontation. And the other is Jonathan Kent's death, which remains the dumbest, most ineffective, emotionally unearned moment in recent blockbuster history to me. It defies logic. First of all, on just a practical level, why would the old guy go back for the dog when you have Superman who could just get the dog su super quickly and get Martha Kent out of the way and into safety? Number two, Nobody is looking at Clark in that scene where, where Jonathan Kent's about to get sucked up into the tornado. 
absolutely could have used his super speed to go get him, bring him back. No one is going to notice. So just on a practical level, I hate that. And on a kind of more uh, character development level that you got to, I think Jonathan Kent is so uh, mischaracterized in this. And that's not a shot against Kevin Costner, who gives in a really good performance. But the fact is, I think the fact that I like that he believes humanity may not be ready or won't accept his son as this all-powerful alien being. But his death, it is false drama just to move the plot forward. The moral of the story doesn't work like the classic Jonathan Kent does. The, 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 Jesus, sorry, I'm stumbling. The moral of the story doesn't work like the classic Jonathan Kent death does. Because in traditional uh, depictions, Jonathan Kent's death teaches Superman that he can't save everyone. And yet in that moment with the tornado, he could have. He decides not to, but only because the writing demanded it and not because it was a genuine organic development. He wants to protect his son, and I get that. But he's an active anchor on Clark's potential rather than a source of empowerment or aspiration or inspiration. And I think that was a hugely missed opportunity that really grounds Clark in something relatable and emotional. How does he die in the uh, comic books? Do you know? There's been different depictions, but in a lot of them, he just has a heart attack, which is- Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, that's kind of, listen, there's a lot of depictions, a lot of different variations, but in the ones where he does die of a heart attack, that's something so human, so earthly, so beyond even the most powerful man in the world's control. And that's why it's kind of beautiful and poetic and, and thoughtful. And in here, it's just a decision made by writers, not really a story development that makes sense. And I think it sends the wrong message to a young, impressionable Clark Kent. So now we've said the thing we really don't like about the movie. Now let's, let's flip it. What's the nicest thing you can say about Man of Steel? All right, so A, I wanna start. It is just a misunderstood film. I think everybody looks at act three as this sort of destructive, chaotic terror porn like that like that's sort of its rap uh because it is but i think that it is in concept it, its concept is what what would the world be like if someone like this showed up and i think in that sense it's an absolute triumph i think as the years pass people are going to look back on this film more kindly if you scroll through the youtube comments on clips or trailers the praise is effusive um i'm not judging a, a film's legacy based on youtube comments. i'm just saying i know that's fair that's no no no. that that's fair and i and i get that but the point is i think that you know you you look at its rotten tomato scores it's got a 56 critic score but its audience score is 75. so i think that its rap is unfair i think that in time it'll you know, as he as Joel says, in time they will join you in uh, the uh, sun, and I think that in time, so will the view of this film. I think it's beautifully shot. I think it's be beautifully scored. I think that the third act, as you said, it's great action. Whether or not you agree with it, it's great action. The entire third act, like an hour plus, he he fights the henchmen, then he goes to like destroy the world engines and then he fights out i think that if snyder sticks the landing with the snyder cut 
the Man of Steel BVS Justice League arc. Who knows? You know, who knows how we'll look back on it once that comes out. And then to put a pen in it, I think that this is uh, in the last 25 years a top 10 film in this genre. Wow. That's that's high praise. I mean, I just I just don't know if I can agree with that based on all of the writing mishaps, based on a lot of the missed opportunities, based on some of the mischaracterizations. I, I need more than just excellent action, which is my answer to this question, the phenomenal fight scenes, to carry me through to the finish line. And like I've said during this pod, I finally decided that I do like more than I dislike. It's still not a complete package to me, just very far from it. I think this is kind of, I think the audience score is a, a fair number. I would give this film, you know, somewhere in like the B range, but I, I don't think it elevates beyond that, even though it strives for it. But still, we, we're on the positive section right now, so. Hold on, quick. What do you like more, this or The Dark Knight Rises? I like The Dark Knight Rises more than Man of Steel. Okay, okay. I see, I'm, I, I, I hate on that film, so. <laughs> Listen, The Dark Knight Rises is clearly- Because if you want to talk about shit that doesn't make sense, that movie doesn't make sense. So I just- That movie's very nonsensical, but I still think it's better than like 80% of blockbusters that we get. For sure, for sure. Okay. Man of Steel, it has the best action scenes, probably in pure kinetic fighting power that we may have ever seen. Now, I think if you took the action scenes and Zack Snyder's visual vision and you combine them with like the thematics and internal and external questions of Superman Returns, I think you have the best superhero movie ever made, bar none. So I'm, I'm just glad that you, because we've talked about this film a lot through, uh, through other years, and you, used, and you used to and still kind of do dunk on me for my love of it. So the fact that you're starting to come around, which, as I said, I think is a general trend. I think as the years go by, more and more people will, will see it how you're seeing it now and look back on it and be like, because I think that Justice League and all that stuff, it's unfairly tied into those films. So I think when looked at in a vacuum, I'm glad that you, uh, you know, now that you're saying it's a B, B plus film. That's a good score. I, I'm not going B plus. It's a round B. A B. Me. Okay. B. Fine. But still, that's good. Good to hear. It's, it's more positive than, a, than it used to be. Uh-huh. Which is, I, I guess, to your point, I'm coming around a little bit, but I still think there are glaring flaws, but I like more than I dislike. Yeah. That, that kind of speaks to our next question, which is, if you catch this, you're, you're channel surfing, and you catch this on cable, are you watching it? Every time. This is one of my all-time Saturday at 3 p.m. TNT FX. Just, oh, fuck yeah, I'm going to watch this. I mean, I'd, I'd say this, The Town, <laughs> Gladiator. Town. You know, these are all movies that if I catch them, it's very hard for me to keep going. So. I would watch Man of Steel on cable up until the, the Smallville fight. I want to catch that scene, and then I may probably check out because I think the world engine and its patented comic book, you know, Blue Skylight is just so dumb. And, yeah. I, and even though the Zod and, and Man of Steel fight is phenomenal, and so I may not stick around for the whole thing. But, you know, I'm definitely going to let it play on FX or TNT for a little bit. Now, this is a question that all of DCEU fandom have been wrestling over basically since the moment Man of Steel dropped. Do you want a sequel or do you want 
whatever's next in the DCEU plans. So I think we both know that getting a Man of Steel 2, we probably won't see. Um, I would love to. Superman is one of the most underexplored A-lister. You know, we've had 6,000 films with Spider-Man. You know, there's Venom at this point. But yet, Superman gets, again, Spider-Man. You know, there's Venom at this point. But yet, Superman gets, again, in our lifetime, two standalone films. One of which was just a weird pseudo-sequel to films that came out 30 years prior. Um... As we said, there's villains that we would love to see. Brainiac, Darkseid, you know, so there's a lot of cool characters. We'll probably get Darkseid in the Snyder Cut. Yes, for sure. Would I love to see it? Yes. Um, Specifically because Superman has good villains. And I think that now is the time that fans are getting, you know, we're getting Ant-Man at this point. We got Ant-Man 2. You're telling me they can't make Man of Steel 2? So, yes, I do. Among DC's upcoming films, which would you bump in favor of Man of Steel 2? That's a great question. That's a great question. Um, questions I ask my man. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of what, what do they have coming? The okay, Black got, Adam. We've got Flash. We've got The Suicide Squad. Uh, we've got Shazam 2. We've, we've got Aquaman 2. We've well, got I, both of those. Both of those sequels. <laughs> Aquaman 2, Shazam 2, get them the fuck out of here. Superman 2. <laughs> Seriously, what are, are you you're, you're telling me that more people want to see fucking Aquaman than Superman? I don't believe that. I, I, I just don't understand how that could happen. Uh, but that seems to be the road. Even though in the last, what, what was it, three months, news has come out that Cavill may be going back to the role, popping up here and there. We both think he's going to pop up in Black Adam. So who knows? The reports recently have said that after Cavill and Warner Brothers walked away from the negotiating table in late 2018, they are now potentially discussing a return. Now, in the original report, it was mentioned that Superman would function a little bit like the Hulk in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in that he would be an added value element to other superheroes' films. And while an appearance in Black Adam makes a ton of sense for a ton of reasons, I still think it makes too much sense for J.J. Abrams, who just signed a massive overall deal with Warner Media, to helm a Man of Steel sequel. Yeah, and that would be, and I think that that would be fantastic for you. Yeah, I, I don't know if it would be fantastic, but it would be something I would absolutely want to see and something I think would probably be pretty good and something I would definitely bump Aquaman 2 for. But after that made, you know, $1.1 billion, that's not happening. Yep. Okay, so then last category, and I love this one because this is just stray random thoughts that you can throw in. What is just some cool stuff about Man of Steel that you think needs mentioning? What do the people need to know? So when Zod shows up and he broadcasts his threat, I love how you hear it in Chinese and English and Spanish. Just think that that was a very cool way to like be like, this dude just showed up and now he's a problem for the entire planet. Yeah. 
Um, Harry Lennox, who plays General Swanwick, uh, who is just a guy that you know by face, but not by name. Zack Snyder has said that in later films, he was going to reveal him to be Martian Manhunter, uh, which I think is cool. You know, I mean, you know, he's a shape-shifting guy. So having it be revealed that that was him the whole time would, would be cool. Last thing, and I wrote this down. No shit. I just realized for the first time at the end, the last line when Lois Lane says, welcome to the planet. She means both the daily planet, which is what I thought. And she means planet earth. And Clark is like, happy to be here. And I was like, I was baked at the time, but I was like, holy fucking shit. This whole time she was welcoming him to earth. And then he's like, happy to be here, Lois. And it ends. And I think that that was a sick ending that I, it's been seven years and I just realized it now. Eric, you have a college education and you just realized the double meaning of that like clever turn of phrase. Yeah. Yep. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> I think I should have chosen a different podcast part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a great moment. It's a great line. Uh, you know, building off the Martian Manhunter, there's also a moment where Clark is exploring the down scout ship, you know, which becomes his Fortress of Solitude, where you see an open pod in the background that was supposed to be a kind of backdoor nod to the fact that Supergirl exists within this universe. Oh, that cool. is really cool. A lot of people have, have talked about that in the years since. Now, this isn't necessarily a cool thing, but it's just a question I have. How does Clark Kent, a 33-year-old man with no major news experience, get a job at one of the biggest publications? I, I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking the same thing. Like, did, did Lois just be like, yo, Perry, like, you know, I'll owe you one. But you yeah, but that also sort of feeds into the how does this fucking guy just put on glasses and suddenly no one knows who he is. Who is this? Who is this six foot four strapping man who happens to look just like the fucking alien who destroyed our entire city? I so would I think recognize it, that jawline anywhere. Yeah. That thing could cut glass. You're telling me you can't figure out, like, hey, you know, Clark looks a lot like Superman. <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, this new guy who just showed up, he looks like that guy that flew through the building last week. Did you notice that? Oh, yeah, I did notice that, actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? but yeah, the last section, this is where we throw in some cool fun facts and some questions that we just can't help but ask. It may not be, you know the most in-depth analysis, but we are regular people watching these movies and we have to have regular reactions such as Clark getting a job in media, which, hey, we're in media. You probably shouldn't do it right now because it's not a good time for publications like the Daily Planet. It uh, stinks for him though because print news is dead, so. Sorry, Clark, but uh, you and Lois are gonna have to figure out a plan B. Maybe an organic vegetable farm, I don't know. All right, well, you guys have been listening to the post-credit pod. Like I said at the top, we are breaking down the major moments and blockbuster battles of the DCEU as we head into DC fandom, where we're hoping some big news gets revealed. We'll have to wait and see. But be sure to tune in to the next episode. We're talking BVS, Dawn of Justice, probably the most controversial superhero film of the last 20 years. We're going to get into the meat and potatoes and gonna be a good time eric hey quick thing tell me do you bleed <laughs> oh someone's gonna bleed as we debate the merits and flaws of this <clears throat> film all right y'all 
We will see you next time. Peace.